0: Welcome to the Victoria's Counselor Podcast. I'm Victoria, a licensed therapist in the state of Georgia. This podcast discusses mental health, the intersection of science and scripture, and assists my listeners in walking in victory. Give me a follow on Instagram at the Counselor. And if you love what you hear, hit that subscribe button. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back, Victoria's Listeners. Thank you to everyone who's tuned into the podcast so far. I'm super grateful for all of you listening. Um, Those of you who've reached out to me and let me know what parts of the podcast you've enjoyed so far. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I even had some people text me and show me their hand model of the brain last week. So I thought that was really cool. Um, Thank you, guys. This is awesome. If you haven't yet followed me on social media, you can find me on Instagram at TheVictoriousCounselor. And that's really the best place to find more content related to the podcast and just more faith and mental health content in general. So let's get going with today's topic. Uh, Here we are in a mini series about trauma, how it affects us, how it affects our bodies and our brains and how that translates into our mental health. Of course, we're tying in scripture, and I'll be sharing a few more of my insights from what the Word has to say from my personal Bible study. So let's get into Trauma in the Brain 201, Biblical Implications. In Trauma in the Brain 101, I gave a basic definition of trauma, what it means to be trauma-informed, and we went over some helpful neuroscience uh, that pretty much gave a basic understanding of the brain— um, how to understand what happens to the brain when we experience trauma. And I want to make sure I give credit to what credits do. I, I went over Dr. Dan Siegel's hand model of the brain. So those of you guys who are wondering, no, I did not come up with that. <laughs> not at all. Um, that is all Dr. Dan Siegel. Siegel is spelled S-I-E-G-E-L. If you are looking at wanting to read more about his work. Um, but yeah, that really gave more education around neural pathways and neural pathways being the well-traveled circuits in the brain. All really good info. If you haven't listened to 101, go ahead and pause the episode now and go back and listen to 101 and then come back and listen to 201, okay? Um, I really recommend, once again, The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. Uh, If you want to continue to expand your knowledge on neuroscience and how it ties into how we experience trauma and what happens to us after we experience trauma, it's an awesome read. Definitely recommend to everyone. Today's going to have somewhat of a different feel. So we're still talking about trauma and the brain, but we're also looking at specifically how trauma affects how we see the world and ourselves. Our perception is changed after a traumatic experience, and it's important to acknowledge how it's changed and what the the science is um, so we can know how to heal. When we think about a traumatic event occurring, remember this is an event that happens when we are jarred, either physically, emotionally, or both, and we're unsure of how to cope and are unsure if we will be able to handle this event. The trauma occurring has an equally as jarring effect. A belief about yourself and the world is planted at the time of a trauma. In layman's terms, you begin to perceive danger that's not there. Your worldview becomes one that's more on guard, ready for someone else to hurt you, right? Because that's what you know and that's what your brain is prepared for that next bad thing to happen and this becomes a problem when there may be well-intentioned people or even good people in your life who may make a mistake but all you can really see in them is the way it made you feel that was similar to something else that happened so your judgment really becomes clouded and that's what i mean when i say your perceptions changed like i mentioned before in the last episode the same way those neural pathways were built before we can rewire and rebuild different neural pathways, right? Which links us back to Romans twelve two, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that was fast. Um, let's talk a little bit more about what I mean when I, when I mention your view of others. Um, the way that our brains are wired, and I think we talked about this last time is the use-it-or-lose-it fashion, right, neuroplasticity. And the parts of our brain, the active parts of our brain that are used and are the most active are the parts that stay. When we're thinking about how we've experienced life and experiencing trauma, consistent trauma that's happened over and over again, and we begin to develop this distrust of the world, This is really an overactive limbic system saying, hey, we are going to be hypervigilant because we don't know when the next threat is coming and we don't know who it's coming from. So we're always going to put people at arm's length. We're always going to be on guard and ready for someone to mess up and do something to us. And that's really the point um, that I'm driving home about how trauma changes our worldview and perspective. I think one of my grad school professors said it best when she um, actually published uh, one of her books and she talked about expecting to walk through a garden. Um, and if you expect to walk through this garden and you expect only bad things to happen, then you're not going to see good things happen. You're not going to see any, anything beautiful. You're not going to notice the beauty and the awe of the nature that you're around. You're only going to perceive and foresee the bad. So that was short and sweet. A little tidbit on the way that trauma influences the worldview. Let's get into trauma and how we see ourselves. So transparency moment. This had to have been maybe six months, maybe a year ago now. Gosh, I can't tell. Time's flying. But I remember going through a series of trainings. So one thing I really love about my current job is that they are very intentional about training up their staff and making sure that they're aware, trauma-informed, practicing trauma-informed practices, modalities, so on and so forth. And I remember leaving one day and thinking, man, like, what does the Bible say about trauma? <laughs> and of course, you know, I'm, I'm flipping and I'm Googling and I'm looking and, you know, the word trauma, to my knowledge, you know, if, if you are, if you're a biblical scholar and you know differently contacted me so we can have you featured on the podcast, <laughs> um, The word trauma is not in the Bible. So I am thinking to myself, well, just because the word trauma is in the Bible doesn't mean that, you know, this is the end of the story. And I was right about that part. My hunch was correct. And I found that not specifically trauma, but the effects of trauma, you can definitely find them in the Bible. Right. So I learned more and more about how trauma impacted our worldview, our perception of ourselves. And the Bible says a lot more than I realized. So if we're going to do a quick summary so we can move forward, trauma affects your self esteem, um, can lead to self-efficacy issues, lack of belief in oneself. Um, I don't know how many of you all are familiar with the the term, the self-fulfilling prophecy, but basically what you expect is what you get. And that's what my grad school professor was getting, to, getting at with that garden metaphor. Um, changes in socialization. So maybe after experiencing something traumatic, you don't want to be around others. You know, you feel like there's less control if, if you're with people who are unpredictable or basically other people are unpredictable. So you stay to yourself more. You, you stay inside. Maybe you isolate and that, that's unhealthy. Um, there becomes a real real hard, uh, almost an inability to recognize faulty thinking. And what I mean by that is we might become so stuck in a way of thinking, in a way of being, that we aren't even aware that we are so far from the truth. I mean, and this is why it's so important to live in community and and to gather with other people and to do life with each other. Because if we stay stuck and isolated long enough, we, we, we become trapped. and We become unable to hear and understand and discern the truth because we've been sitting in lies for so long. The list goes on and on. Um, I think that those few, y'all get the point, right? Trauma changes how we see ourselves. And the bottom line is that trauma plants a lie. If you're someone whose parents got divorced as a child, maybe you believe subconsciously or consciously, you know, that it was your fault or you could have done more to stop it. And now you probably believe that you might have caused something terrible to happen. And because of that, you believe you're bad or you don't do enough. You haven't done enough to intervene. That's a lie. Maybe you experience sexual abuse molestation, which typically occurs from a family member. Um, And you you might experience some shame and guilt, thinking it was your fault, that you should have done more to stop it. When in reality, you you probably did what anyone who wanted to survive that situation would do, right? You, You stayed there. You stayed in the moment. You tried to protect yourself in the way you knew how. But now you're, you have this conflicting view about yourself. You believe you're shameful that you didn't speak up for yourself. So there's something wrong with you. That you, as a result of this traumatic event, that you are defective. That's also a lie. If you witnessed or experienced violence, you know, you may believe that you're unsafe. That you can't go anywhere and experience peace. And it doesn't matter where you go. You know, you're just going to have to live on alert for the rest of your life. That's also a lie. Maybe you experienced some verbal, emotional, or physical abuse by a caregiver, and when it comes down to it, you just believe that you're not enough and you won't be enough. That is a lie. And the same goes for anyone who's experienced bullying, um, being put down for something completely out of their control. So anything that results in you feeling inferior might have planted the lie that you are not enough. Once again, the list goes on and on. And something I suggest and do with my clients as an EMDR trained provider, um, EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. It's a super effective trauma modality that I will talk more about in a later episode um, because we don't have full time for that right now. But something that I want to encourage listeners, people who are listening to this podcast to do are trace back certain events and talk about that lie that you might believe about yourself and its, its origin. Um, and nine times out of 10, you and the, the clients that I work with still believe those lies to this day, even though they happened when they might've been five, six, seven years old. And whether or not you're aware of this, you are operating as if that lie is the truth. And you may do everything in your power to avoid, erase, or disprove that lie. And guess who's the father of lies? (laughs) If we take a look at John chapter eight um, in my study Bible, so the literal title of the passage is dispute over whose children Jesus, Jesus opponents are. Ah, Sorry about that. Earlier in the passage, Jesus is having a conversation with the Jews who are, you know, in the, in the passage, it's stated that they're descendants of Abraham and they're arguing about who they belong to and they're claiming to be God's children and Jesus is giving his response in John 8, 44. I'm reading from the NIV version and it states, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So many good points in this one scripture. I mean, from the beginning, and we're going to get into Genesis in a minute, but he was a murderer. He did not hold to the truth. There's no truth in him. So we're already no. we're already hearing and seeing just in this one scripture, no truth can lie with, with Satan. Um, He's the father of lies. And I want to reiterate something here because I think this brings up a pretty contentious point. The Christian community or people who cre- question Christianity in general. You know, why do bad things happen to people who believe in God? OK, so why would God, why, why, why does God allow lies to plant in our heads? And is God the one planting these lies? And the answer is in scripture. God doesn't plant lies. Satan plants lies. We see this play out in Genesis. So Satan's first act of business on the scene, we we haven't seen or heard from this man, but his first act of business is lying to Eve and, and saying to her, you will surely not die if you eat from the tree of life. When in fact, that's exactly what God told her. You know, they, they Adam and Eve had access to all of the other trees. That was the truth in the garden, except for one. And that's exactly what happened, you know. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. After they tasted the fruit, is when they recognized they were naked and felt shame. And that's referencing Genesis three seven. But let's not forget in Genesis two twenty five, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So what happened? Because in Genesis two twenty five, they were naked then, and after they ate the fruit, they were naked afterwards. So what changed? And what changed was an action and the fact that Satan was weaving his way and crafting his life from the very beginning. After this, their eyes were opened and the text reads, Genesis 3-7, and, and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So we're the story continues on. I'm sure most of y'all know the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but we know how this story ends and that's the, but that's the first encounter we have with lies in the Bible from Satan. While discussing this, I want us to keep in mind that a huge part of trauma work and you know counseling in general is, is leading people to understand lies that they believe about themselves and how they're not true. And yet, you know, I'm hearing people ask, or some people say to me in response to hearing this or just conversations we've had in general. Well, This is true to a certain extent. Something bad happened. I did experience this traumatic experience. I was raped. Somebody did abuse me. You know, we can't, we're we're not going to skate around the truth. And I I want to reiterate, yes, I I hear you. Something painful happened to you. I do not want to diminish this at all. Um, We will have an entire episode on dealing and coping and honoring Um. Those who've experienced the trauma, um, I'm in the process of planning out um, episodes on modalities, what treatment looks like, you know, approaches or activities and exercises you can do at home. But for right now, you know, we're going to continue with with our topic today. And I want to caveat and say it's so personal and individual to everyone. And what I mean by that is because everyone experiences trauma differently, there is no one size fits all. Like, this is how you're you're guided to healing for, for trauma. And I want to make that clear, um, especially for those of you who are interested in starting therapy or want to go to a therapist. You know, there, there's a part of the process that we're going to have to trust and a part of healing we're going to have to trust. And there's not a set, yeah, you know, in eight sessions, you're going to be healed. So, and there's also no way in one podcast episode that I can articulate everything that needs to be said about healing. So we're going to save that for a future episodes down the line, but I did want to include some Bible verses just to reiterate and reflect or speak to someone who's experienced something painful or trauma mentioned here in this podcast episode, just a few that God put on my heart to share with you all. Um, Psalm 2710 reads, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will remember me. And what I love about the ESV version, it states, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will hold me close. I think that that really gives me chills. In Matthew 5, 4, it reads, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Second Corinthians 5:17 reads, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That last scripture is really pointing towards, you know, if you feel, if you're feeling guilt or shame about an event that you have participated in resulting from a traumatic experience you occurred, just want to let you know that in Christ, you're in creation. Amen. But I want to highlight one scripture that kept coming up for me um, as I was putting this together and thinking about my angle and, and my approach as I, as I tied together trauma and the Bible. And I want us to talk about Matthew 4. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Um, and we—I'm not going to read the entire part or the entire chapter, um, but I do want to read a a section of it, and I want to reiterate—you know—we see a series of tests that Satan is now trying to deceive Jesus with, Um, and he's being extremely crafty, extraordinarily crafty, because he's using scripture so to something that we would see as truth, right? that that others would might describe as truth. And I, I want to point that out to everyone listening and really just reiterate that he is Satan is crafty. And sometimes it is or sometimes what hurts us are people who would seemingly be the closest to us. That doesn't mean that what's happening in the lies that are planted are not lies. Okay. So in Matthew 4, 3, I want to read this one part so I can um, drive the point home. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, the exchange here is really enlightening to me because Satan attempts to plant a lie. Um and is met with even truer truth. Shout out to Pastor Stephen Furtick at Elevation Church, who preached probably my favorite sermon of all time, Caught Between Two Truths. Um, look it up if you want to just encounter the presence of God. But he combats Satan using truer truths, right? And of course, this is a favorite when talking about this subject, um, because a lot of the times what we have experienced feels true, right? This happened to me and I I feel dirty. I feel ugly. Yes, this person rejected me. So therefore I'm rejected. And that's not, that may feel true in the moment, but that is not the truth. Does that track with you all? It's not the truth, okay? There there are other ways to find the truth and listening to a lie that Satan planted is not one of them, I want to reiterate and continue to um, drive the point home with second Corinthians 10, five. And once again, the NIV version, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and doing this victorious listeners. So the process of recalling a memory or recalling something that has happened to you, naming the lie that, that, you know, has resulted because of it and coupling it with the scripture. So I, I gave a few earlier, um, a few examples that stick out to me. But by all means, I encourage you to, to find ones that, that stick out to you to, to counter that lie. That is how we are healing. Those are first steps of healing from the lies that Satan is planted. Of course, you know, I'm going to be honest, working with a trained clinician um, is going to make this process a lot easier if you're working through some seriously complex developmental trauma. And I'm actually going to go ahead and say, you know, if, if you're someone who experienced persistent abuse, neglect, um, so on, and so forth, definitely find a licensed clinician to help you walk through this, because it's not something that I would recommend doing by yourself. Um, but also, you know, even if you haven't experienced those things, walking through it with a licensed clinician who is trained to help you identify these lies and and help you and equip you with the right tools and techniques to get through them. That's what's really going to change the game. Also, I want to add that if we don't fight back with our own prayer, with our own personal scripture reading, with our own personal relationships with God, you know, to fight these lies Satan's winning. And that's, that's point blank, period. Um, it sounds ugly to say, and I know some of y'all are thinking, man, like, that's not true. My God will fight all my battles for me. He already has victory, which I'm not arguing that point. <laughs> I, I, I am aware that God has the victory um, and is, has made us victorious because he is God. But what I will say also, so here's another truth. <laughs> Faith without works is dead. Nobody can cultivate and grow your relationship with God that will ultimately assist in these healing moments, these transformative moments um, and help you out when the enemy tries to plant lies. But you working with the therapist um, and then still not actively doing work outside of those sessions um, for yourself, having the agency for yourself, communing with God on your own in your own personal time, not the most efficient way to fight those lies the enemy has planted. So, victorious listeners, um, as we close, I want to thank you all again for hanging in there with me today. I know today was a different feel, a different type of episode, but I think it's important that we recognize and acknowledge what happens when we experience trauma. How do we see ourselves and how does that affect our relationship with God? Does it? Is it going to? And how can our relationships with God redeem and restore us to the place of healing man thank you all for being with me today really enjoyed um going through this it's really awesome to be able to do a scripture study or to, to study a topic you know six months ago and finally be able to share it in a place with people so as always victorious listeners take care um Feel free to hit me up on Instagram if you have any questions or commentary to today's topic. Share with a friend and I will be with you all in a couple weeks. Take care.